0: In the days when the judges ruled, there was a family in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to Sodorn in the country of Moab, he and his wife, and his two sons. The name of the man was Amalek, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were... you. Thank you. From Bethlehem and Judah, they went into the country of Noah and remained there. But Emily, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with two sons. These two wives, the name of the one was Oprah or Or Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilean died, so that the woman was. Even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying me? No, my daughters, for it, it is exceedingly bitter to me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and left again. And Orca kissed her mother in law, but Ruth called to her. And she said, See, your sister in law has gone back to. And to her God, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, "Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will uh, there will I be damaged. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you." And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her,
1: Thanks be to God. Good morning again. Uh, welcome to everybody uh, to Christ the Word Church. Uh, for those tuning in online, my name is Patrick and I'm the pastor here at Christ the Word. Uh, I'm the devious pastor who would make his wife read a passage which is with a bunch of difficult names uh, and not give her really any heads up aside from her walking in the door because I'm a good husband like that. Uh, so we all fall short, and I guess I have something else to confess. Wrong. Uh, but glad that. One is here, you up front. Welcome to the splash zones, as I like to call it. You have it at Sea World, you have it at church too. As I spit, so <laughs> next, next time you wear a poncho. Okay. But we are beginning our new series this Sunday. Ruth, the outside of this little Old Testament book of Ruth. The book of Ruth happened during the time of the Judges. We find out right at the beginning. So. This time of the judges happens between, if you if you know some of the Old Testament stories you've heard of, Moses, who took the people out of Egypt and into the wilderness toward the promised land, you know, through the Red Sea, that story, and then after Moses, there was Joshua that helped carry them into the promised land, and they began conquering and taking over the land of Canaan, and then there was this long stretch of period that was probably around 400 plus years the exact amount of time is quite debatable, uh, but it was a large span of time before we had our first king, King Saul, and then after King Saul, there came the King David, the, the greatest king of all Israel. So we're in this, somewhere in this span of time when it was quite turbulent. There was this cycle during this time of the, the Hebrew people would be faithful to God and then they would start to. Worship idols and stray from God, and so then they would be oppressed by one of the neighboring nations. They would repent, and then God would raise up this judge not a judge with a white powdered wig and a gavel, but a judge who was a political you know, war leader and would help liberate the people from their oppression and bring about an age of peace. Then for the cycle to begin all over and over again. It was a really turbulent time. So here we are in the midst of that time somewhere, and we have this short important book of Ruth. In Ruth, first we see faithfulness of an unlikely person. A woman. And not just a woman, a Moabite woman. We are reminded in Ruth that men are not the only ones to shape the history of Major events in God's divine story. And I'm here to tell you that if anyone ever tells you that women do not play a pivotal role in scripture, clearly they're not reading the Bible. Ruth is really a story about redemption. A grand redemption. It sets the stage for the greatest redemptive story of all time and lays the groundwork in the history for the greatest redeemer of It's no coincidence that this Moabite woman named Ruth would become an ancestor of Jesus himself. Ruth is a powerful reminder of our call to have perspective as we view those who are on the outside. The stranger, the foreigner, the misfortunate beggar, the down on hard times individual and those who find themselves for various reasons on the periphery of society. For the outsider just might be the vehicle of our redemption. But before we go any further, let's go to God in prayer. So let us pray. Almighty God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come upon us, to enlighten us, to open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Lord, we pray that you would silence any voice in us but your own. And we recognize we gather and worship with others, so we pray for those sitting around us, for those sitting to our right, for those sitting to our left behind us before us. Lord, we pray that you would open their hearts, open their minds, prepare their ears to hear your word. And Lord, I pray, as a humble preacher, as my words straighten yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten. But may your word your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forever. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, amen. amen. So today we focus on the beginning of Ruth's story, really chapter one. It sets the stage for the entire story, and right from the beginning, we receive some pretty big information in just a few verses. But as we look at chapter 1, for the sake of this series, I would like to propose that we look at it in this fashion, in three different main sections. So if you're a note taker, this is the part you can start taking some of the notes of how we're dividing it up. There's three sections. First, we're going to talk about the weight of a decision. It's really kind of the first five verses. And then after this weight of the decision, we're going to move to talk about a bitter reality in verses 6-13. through And then we'll move in verse 14 to the end about an unexpected consequence. But every beginning starts at the beginning. So let's start there and discuss the weight of a decision. It's easy to blow past those preliminary first few verses. Because it's a lot of information. And a lot of times when you're reading a story, you're like, okay, I got it. I got it. I'm on to the next thing. Where's the meaty juicy stuff? But you know what? There's some important information in just those short verses. They lay the groundwork for the remainder of the story, but they're more than just a setup for the rest of the story. We learn something in these. Within them are important truths that we just might need to ponder. And so let's consider verses one through. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Now, don't you want to name your kid that, Elimelech? We'll see if that makes top ten names in 2018. The man's name was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malad and Chilion and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. We are quickly introduced to Elimelech, but as quickly as we find out about Elimelech, he's also gone. So here's Elimelech. Oh, by the way, he's dead. And Naomi is left in this place foreign land with it. We hear the information that Elimelech and Naomi are Ephrathites, So they are from the land of Judah, and we can actually get from this information, and if you look at some of Naomi's statements later, it gives you the impression they were, that they were actually from a well-established family in Bethlehem. There's great irony that they chose to move to Moab and leave Bethlehem due to a famine. Why the irony? Well, the name Bethlehem means "house of bread." It's a little ironic that they would need to leave the house of bread because they were out of bread. Kind of like when we hit a snowstorm—there's no bread the But they left because of the famine. We don't know the circumstances of the famine. We just know that it happened, and that Elimelech weighed his options and made this life-changing decision. To move his family to this foreign land that was once hostile to their people, they were once hostile to them. These Moabites, they were not followers of the one true God. In fact, they followed a god that demanded human sacrifice. But we must assume that maybe during this time they were at relative peace, and/or the that was just that desperate. And so he made this decision that laid the groundwork and change for the rest of his family. How can he you know that he would live with life, Right? We can sit about it. How would you even know making that decision that that would happen? Yet despite his intentions, despite his knowledge or lack of knowledge of the situation, his decision had lasting consequences on him. So this leads us to our first truth. And our first truth is this. The weight of our decisions include consequences that can affect generations. Our decisions have great weight. It seems elementary, doesn't it? It's like, well, of course they do. But we are so quick to forget, especially when we're talking with someone else, that that person standing before us, is a culmination and a product of their yesterdays, just as we are. I'm different today than I was yesterday, because yesterday happened. I made decisions. Decisions were made for me. And when considering the weight of decisions, it's interesting that we often expect grace when it relates to us, but then we want justice. We want consequences when it relates to someone else. I mean, think about it. You hit hard times, what's your first reaction? Is it to go, well, I landed myself here? Probably not always the case. We're quick to say, well, it wasn't my fault, or my hand was forced. The decision was we make, well, what else the decision I didn't know. And we throw out all these excuses that we want grace because it was us. But then, when someone else stands before us, especially the other, the stranger, and the foreigner, we expect responsibility. That they accept their own lot in life. Let them take responsibility for their actions. See, the reality is that our decisions, all of our decisions, even seemingly small decisions, have a weight. The arms. A little less simple and yet
0: maybe even forced decision
1: to take his family to try to find food somewhere else shaped the history of his family. His decision left Naomi devastated and widowed not in her homeland where family was, but in a foreign land. That decision changed her life. There were consequences. Our decisions have weight, and our decisions affect others. I'm shaped by the good and the poor decisions of my parents, just as my children are. We are shaped by the decisions of others. We are influenced. So do we see the complexity of decisions here? They have great weight. When we view the outsider, the person that we consider other, someone different than us, we need to appreciate the complexity of this truth. Let's not be too quick to fall into the rhetoric of any particular political party, of being a scared American or a selfish Christian. We must not be so quick to stereotype and make big sweeping statements about large groups of people and conclusions and decisions about wide ranges of people. I hear it in comments of, you know, well, people are poor because they just don't work hard. Enough. Have you ever heard that? This is political rhetoric of our day. People are poor because they just don't work hard. Enough. That is not always the case. It can be really difficult to get out of poverty. There's a lot of studies that have shown how hard you have to work, and it's insurmountable. I mean, people work their tails off working two, three jobs, and they can barely make ends meet. Are they not working hard? And yet, we would dare say that people are poor because they don't work hard enough. They chose to be poor. There's a whole lot more going on. How dare we say that? The beginning of Ruth is a powerful reminder to us that we are all only one decision away from poverty. And ruin. It was one decision that led to the ruin of Naomi at this time. One decision. And it may or may not be a decision we make ourselves. that leads to our ruin. A change of circumstances can make us an outsider. So we move from the weight of decisions to discuss a bitter reality. Now the story continues as we learn more about the consequences of the choices made in those first few verses. And the bitterness of Naomi's situation. Naomi's lost her husband, her provider. We have to keep in mind that this was a different day and age. Women in leverant marriage weren't able to do much without a husband because of the cultural traditions. So Naomi was pretty well ruined, and not just that, that she lost her husband, she ends up losing her sons who could take care of her. And she's left with these foreign daughters-in-law. Oprah, Orpah, I always want to say Oprah too, so on your defense. So we have Orpah, and then we have Ruth, these foreign Moabite women. Different customs, different God. That's where she left with. And so she has this decision. What am I going to do? And so a small light appears as we learn that things have changed back home. And the house of bread has bread, bread once more. And she makes a decision to move home. We see this. In verse 6 and 7. Then she arose with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters in law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. David Jackman, uh, in his preacher's commentary, where I, you know, I copy all my sermons down. You know, in, in this commentary, he makes this interesting statement. He says, the turning point in Naomi's experience comes with a direct intervention by the Lord in the larger circumstances, which have indirectly led to her problems. God comes to the aid of his people by providing food, we learn in verse 6. And that situation having changed, the widow Naomi decides to go back Empty to the house of bread, where she really belongs. Hers is a common sense response to an outward circumstance, but spiritually it is a move toward the Lord, not away from it. Isn't that interesting? She left relatively full. She moves, and but a few short years, she is ruined, and she has to return empty to her homeland. But in a sense, she's moving from this foreign land with foreign gods with foreign daughters-in-law. I'm not trying to talk badly about them, but this time, there was a lot going on. And she moves back to her <coughs> own people in a way moving back toward her God. Naomi returns to her homeland and outside of this time. It's important, though, that we not ignore the hand of God It's not always explicit in the verses that we see God acting, but God is there working underneath the surface, behind the scenes. So often we experience great bitterness when we find ourselves outside and we feel abandoned by God. Anyone ever felt abandoned by God? Absolutely. It's a tough feeling, isn't it? When you feel all alone. You find yourself screaming to God, God, where are you? We all have these times. But that doesn't mean that God isn't present and at work, even though we don't see him. What's interesting is we even see Naomi in the midst of her bitterness. She acknowledges God in her statement. Notice at the end of verse 13 we'll start with verse 12. Naomi is far from possible. In fact, we can go as far as to say she's devastated. She is completely devastated. But notice that she still acknowledges God in her bitterness. This leads us to our second truth. Our second truth is this. God is present and active, even if hidden or when we feel abandoned on the outside. God is present. Present and active. The book of Ruth is a reminder that our God is active and present in every situation, even though we may not see him. We are reminded that our present situation is not always an indication of our future hope. We have to keep that in mind. Our God is always working. Always, tirelessly working to redeem, rework, restructure, restore his creation. That's what God is doing. There are times when we feel alone and abandoned. There are times when we wonder if God even cares about us if we're just forgotten. There are times that God seems silent. Sometimes we even feel punished by Is God even punishing me? Ever said that? Asked that? But despite it all, God is still with us. This is a truth. God is with us. We read the Psalms. We find a whole host of prayers of laments, of anguish, and frustration. Yes, anguish, lament, and frustration is voiced in the Bible. Not a happy-go-lucky boy. But despite it all, God is there. God is still sovereign and in control, working in ways that we can never understand or see. And Ruth and Naomi are not alone and broken on the outside. God has so much more in store for them. Just as he does for each and every one of you. Just as he does for me. God is So we discussed the weight of decisions, we've looked at present bitterness, and now we move to the third section as we discuss an unexpected consequence, starting at verse 14. This is when the story takes an unexpected turn, unless, of course, you know the story, which some of us may know. But when you first read it, it is an unexpected turn. Naomi sends her daughters in law away to start a new life. She doesn't want them to experience her bitterness. Moab is their home. Why leave all they know? She has nothing to offer them. Absolutely nothing. So she sends them away, and after some crying, some hugging, or leaves. but here's the unexpected turn, Ruth stays. It's here that we're truly introduced to the character of the namesake of this book. Ruth, a Moabite woman. We see it in verse 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me more also than anything, but death parts me from you. Wow. Talk about devotion. And if you were an outsider looking, if you were a person of Moab, Say privy to this conversation, would you think Ruth is making a wise decision? On the surface, there's nothing wise about it. Why would you go and choose to be an outsider when things are fine? You can stay behind, you can remarry, you can have a life, you can have children, you're still young. Why follow this widow to this foreign land, to a foreign God? Why stick with her? We don't know Ruth's. Jesus. but we do know a bit about her character that she is devoted to Naomi. she willfully decided to follow she willingly became an outsider this is impressive but let's not be deceived while this is a story about Ruth it's not about Ruth this story is about God and about God's it's about good news of redemption for the outsider. Ruth's character, no matter how great, still would not redeem her. She was not redeemed by her, character, was she? She would be redeemed by God. So this leads us to our third and final truth. And it's this. God's love extends beyond our boundaries and outside of our expectations. God's love can't be confined by the little box that we want to put it in. We love to put God in a box because that's the only way we can comprehend Him. But God doesn't fit in a box, much like the Christmas presents. Once you get them out of their box, you can't ever get them back in, you know? So God's even exceedingly more like that. God never once did in the box. And we love to place our own limitations upon God, don't we? Well, that doesn't make sense. That's not logical, God. you think God is bound by your body? But God, science stands against that. Do you think God is bound by our science and understanding of his world that he created? He made the rules. God can't be bound by our limitations, but we love to set up boundaries. We love to set up our own expectations. God, you will fit here. Certainly, God can love those people. Yes, God loves you, and I can tell you sometimes that's difficult to know. My wife tells me this all the <laughs> time. God sees beyond the immediate into eternity. God sees past skin, past eye accent, past culture, and sees His beloved creation in the eyes of every human being, every creature, every rock, every tree is God. God sees with great love his creation. And only God can truly know and share unconditional love. I will be here to argue that I do not think it's possible for us to have unconditional love. I think we come close. Sometimes. At least it feels like we come close. But I can never not love my child. I can tell you there are conditions. There are all Sometimes they're hidden in the dark parts of our heart, but there are conditions. With God, there are no conditions. His love cannot be bound by anything, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation except us in the love of Christ Jesus. That's what Scripture tells us. God's love is limitless. We are never outside. We may be outside of God's will, and it happens quite often, but we are never outside of God's love. Being the outsider is difficult. We all can easily be in a place of being the outsider. There are times we find ourselves on the outside. There are many ways that we can find ourselves to be in such a place. But let us not forget these truths God is always at work, and His love is even for the outside. Let us pray. <coughs> My God, we thank you that you love us so often, even despite ourselves. That we may feel on the outside at times, but God, we are never outside of really. Be with us on the outside, be with us on the inside, be with us everywhere right? and remind us of those who currently feel on the outside. And maybe we be the ones to reach beyond your unconditional love, and reach a hand across the boundaries we so often create, to we'll offer a hand the hospitality of hospitality and love and of grace for you to provide all In Jesus' name we pray
0: that all the same yeah.